Hi, and welcome to an exclusive podcast brought to you by VJ Hemog, an open access video journal that provides the healthcare community with trusted and up-to-date information in Hemog. Today, we're joined by Christian Chabonon, who chairs an insightful discussion on the latest updates to come from the 47th annual EBMT meeting, alongside Nico Gagelman, Zenaida Perrick, and Iola Brisso. So good evening to everyone, uh, maybe good morning or good afternoon for some of you if you are listening from uh, other places than uh, Western Europe. Uh, we are very happy to welcome you to the VGIM IMANC uh, session, during which uh, we will discuss some of the highlights of the uh, latest EBMT uh, annual meetings that took place uh, at the beginning of this week. Unfortunately, fully virtual format again because of the coronavirus, COVID-19 uh, situation. Uh, nevertheless, uh, provided a lot of exciting new information. So this is my pleasure today to uh, welcome uh, Dr. Zinaida Perik, who is the newly elected Transplant Complication Working Party Chair at uh, EBMT. Uh, Dr. Nico Gagelman, who is the, one of the chairs of the EBMT uh, trainee uh, group, and uh, Dr. Eolia Brissot, who is the recipient of the uh, Van Beckum Award at this year's uh, EBMT annual meeting. So all together, we will try to cover uh, some of the um, again, most interesting aspects of the meeting. A lot of new information, so we cannot be exhaustive, but hopefully you will get some uh, useful information from our discussion uh, today. Uh, maybe I'll start with uh, Dr. Brissot. Eolia, please, can you describe the results of your study and possibly further elaborate on uh, new information on conditioning regimens in the context of allogenic transplantation? Thank you very much. Good morning or good evening, everyone. So um, we present uh, during the ABMT uh, randomized phase two study when uh, we compared um, GBHD prophylaxis with PTCI versus ATG. And patients were included, only adult patients who received a match-related donor or 10 out of 10 match-unrelated donor. And the conditioning was flubu 2 for all patients, and only PBSC were, uh, was, uh, were included. Finally, um, when we compare, we include 90 uh, patients. And at the end, 37 patients underwent allogenistic stem cell transplantation with ATG, and uh, 40 in the arm of uh, PTCI. The, the primary objective was um, GRFS, uh, so great free and four uh, GVHD-free, relapse-free survival, and extensive chronic GVHD-free survival. At the end of the day, we find um, that the two curves were exactly comparable with a GRFS around 50%. When we look at specifically uh, PFS, uh, progression-free survival. Um, it was uh, similar in, two, in the two arms, around uh, more than 70%. There was no statistically difference. 
And looking at the GBHD, they were a little bit higher of grade three, uh, grade uh, two to four GBHD uh, in patients who received PTCI versus ATG, but it was not significant. And we have also to to know the limit of the study because this is a phase two study, and the cohort is quite small. But the conclusion was quite interesting to see that there were no real, no difference between the two arms. So we are, uh, we are uh, just uh, uh, getting the final result to, to do a final analysis. But uh, it was an interesting study, we think. And um, I think another study were also was presented in the presidential uh, session was, was um, related uh, by uh, Dr. Luznik. And they compared, they were asking the question of uh, GVHD prophylaxis without uh, calcineurine inhibitor. And it was a phase three study. Uh, they randomized patient with, in three arms. Uh, one arm, they receive um, P, uh, PBSC cell dose for C, uh, CD4 plus. Uh, they receive also the second arm, it was PTCI with bone marrow, and the third arm was tacrolimus and methotrexate with bone marrow. The endpoint was uh, CRFS, so it was uh, like uh, a new um, uh, a new endpoint. It was, uh, 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 sorry, it was a uh, disease-free survival and uh, Chronic extensive chronic GVHD free survival. Finally, uh, there was no difference in CRFS across uh, the treatment arms. What they saw that patients who received CD34 uh, selected graft had lower overall survival because they were they had higher TRM. And uh, when they look at the arm between tacrolimus methotrexate and uh, calcineurin inhibitor free with PTCI with bone marrow. They were equivalent uh, strategy. And uh, so this was really interesting to see this uh, prospective big trial uh, in, uh, in uh, uh, GVHD prophylaxis. Thank you, Elia. So PTCY was true game changer in the, in the context of uh, haploidentical transplant uh, more than 10 years ago now. It's not that novel, but um, doesn't seem to replicate the same uh, uh, results exactly in the context of uh, match donors. Any insights in, in, in why uh, PTCY uh, um, does not have the same beneficial effect? Yes, yes. And, uh um, the acute leukemia working party published one uh, retrospective study on sibling donor and also um, in a 10 out of 10 match related unrelated donor. Uh, they compared PTCI and, um, with ATG and they did not find also a difference between the two cohorts. What seemed very interesting and was published in Blood by uh, Batibaya and, and colleague with the retrospective study with patients who received a nine out of 10 mismatch unrated donor. And PTCI did really better in terms of G acute and chronic GVHD compared to ATG.
Thank you, um, Elia. Nico, any special comment on, on this issue? Um, did you uh, did you look at or did you have the opportunity to look at the immune reconstitution between the two arms, or was that was that able in your cohort? Would be quite interesting to know. Yes, we have a, a biological collection, uh, but it's still uh, under study. And um, another thing, we look at uh, CMV and EBV reactivation. And it was a little bit surprising because we didn't find difference between the two cohorts. We were like guessing more uh, viral reactivation with ATG, but we didn't find that. Maybe because patients receive flubu 2 and have a, maybe a quicker immune reconstitution, but we have to, to look at that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Zinaida. Um, in terms of uh, medium to long-term uh, complications, um, is there any difference between the different uh, conditioning regimen? And then maybe you can tell us a little bit of what you heard about GVHD control, GVHD treatment uh, during the meeting. Thank you. I muted myself because of the noise. Uh, uh, thank you. It's my pleasure to participate in this um, uh, post-EBMT event, which we said already was a bit uh, unusual, but uh, exciting. We hope uh, next EBMT will be in its uh, normal um normal setting so say but uh what um i remember the most especially uh, when it com comes to transplant complications from the cbmt uh, are the changes that we are seeing uh, in the setting uh, of steroid refractory gvhd both in chronic uh, and acute because uh, as we know uh, all of us who are dealing with transplant patients this was a pretty devastating uh setting uh, in uh, in the early uh, and late transplant period, where we for uh, ages didn't have any drug available for steroid or um, we any drug for steroid refractory, uh, both acute and chronic GVHD, then ruxolitinib came, which uh, is also, as you say, a game changer uh, in the field. And uh, at the EBMT, we have seen the updated results of both uh, REACH2 and REACH3 trial, where ruxolitinib did uh, show a sustained uh, response, both in acute uh, and chronic GVHD patients. But then uh, what when patients are refractory to ruxolitinib, uh, and this is actually what I wanted to comment on. Uh, the two studies uh, which analyzed patients who are refractory to ruxolitinib as well. Uh, there is a rising new star in the field of uh, steroid refractory chronic GVHD, which is pretty impressive. The drug is called uh, the belomucidil, a uh, rock star study, because the drug is really a a rising star. Uh, it is also uh, it is uh, actually a rock inhibitor which changes the balance of Th17 and Tregs uh, to towards uh, Tregs, of course. Uh, and uh, this drug was evaluated in a phase two study. Uh, into uh, those levels uh, twice and once daily uh, in 132 patients uh, who already received two to five previous lines of therapy and were diagnosed with chronic GVHD at, at a median of 
two years before the inclusion uh, in the study. Uh, also, uh, a third of these patients had already received ruxolitinib or ibrutinib. So these patients uh, were included as well. As well. Uh, and the responses were really impressive because they saw responses in um, over 70% uh, of patients, 75% actually. Uh, and the median time to response was about four weeks. Uh, also, the response was sustained for about uh, 50 weeks. And the most impressive responses were uh, in gastrointestinal GVHD, in joint and fascia. Uh, GVHD uh, as well, um, and um, about 20% of patients were able even to discontinue uh, steroid treatment. So I think this drug uh, might be the third drug uh, which will actually uh, get uh, an approval sometimes, uh, sometime soon. It has already granted an uh, FDA uh, evaluation, I think, which is due uh, in May this year. So we'll see what happens. But I think this drug could really uh, change the field, which was uh, until recently really, um, really uh, a field uh, which uh, we had no um, no actual treatments available. There's also one thing in acute GVHD I could mention, if you want, <laughs> in the steroid refractory acute uh, GVHD. Uh, also, um, in patients who already received ruxolitinib, actually, it's, it's a French study, so Eolia can maybe comment on it as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a very uh, impressive data that was shown uh, by uh, Professor Mallard from uh, Saint-Antoine. Uh, and uh, this is a use of FMT product, uh, actually a product which is uh, pulled from different uh, donors and then uh, was used uh, again uh, in refractory GIGVHD uh, patients, uh, 29 of them. Uh, and they saw really also really impressive responses by day 28, about 60%, uh, and uh, also more than 50% responses in patients who are refractory uh, to ruxolitinib as well. So I think in the field of steroid refractory acute GVHD, fecal microbiota transplantation could be something uh, which is also a game changer. Thank you, Zinaida. Elia, you want to comment on the Florent uh, study and presentation. Like, uh, it's really interesting to see that uh, MT can change the microbiota for patients who are GVG uh, refractory. So it was, uh, I think it was 29 patients who were included. And uh, the oral response was, uh, was almost 60%. And there were no um, really uh, adverse events for this patient. So um, I think this is a really have to get more patient and everything, you know, to uh, more data, but it's really uh, a promising uh, treatment for uh, refractory GBHD and even for GBHD after steroids. Thank you, Elia. We, we don't hear you very, very well, actually, when you speak, but we, we, I think we can stop the, um, your, your, your response. Nico, any comment on, uh, on this uh, GVHD uh, issues? Uh, 
maybe one comment and uh, uh, maybe a small question is um, it's, it's really interesting that um, we see these differences between um, act actual characterization and targeting of, of uh, GVHD like intestinal or um, skin fascia. Do you, Zinaida, do you think um, there will be uh, in the future, we will specifically target, uh, for instance, there will be different uh, drugs for intestinal GVHD or skin GVHD, which we saw a first report with pomalidomide. Um, or do you think there is this, the, this new drug will cover it all? Or what do you think? Are we, will we be capable to personalize um, treatment for, for GVHD patients? Well, thank you, Nico. Well, of course, this is the uh, the aim. Uh, well, this is probably easier in acute GVHD because we know that chronic GVHD is seldom um, uh, 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 one organ disease. So, uh, in in uh, chronic GVHD, it is usually uh, a place where we have to target many organs. So, um, but maybe. Um, the field maybe which is the, the weakest point in chronic GVHD is probably lung GVHD. So unfortunately, um, even with uh, the new drugs as ruxolitinib, uh, we haven't really moved much. Uh, and uh, I don't know, we probably have to know more in, uh, on pathophysiology as well in lung GVHD uh, and have more patients and uh, better uh, organized studies to see uh, what is best for these patients because this is a highly morbid form and uh, this is a real problem which hasn't been unfortunately still uh, addressed with the new drugs uh, as well. And since this is very good news that we actually now uh, have uh, additional and efficient drugs, what is the role of ECP in the management of steroid refractory uh, GVHD? Well, ECP, um, there are of course different, um, not all centers have uh, experience with ECP uh, because um, there's always this uh, problem of technical um, difficulties when, when, when doing it. But uh, I personally have really good experience uh, with ECP, especially with chronic uh, GVHD, uh, chronic skin GVHD. So um, I think the future of ECP is still probably uh, in some combination therapies, uh, for example, with ruxolitinib. And ECP, I think, could be a very good tool um, when uh, ta tapering off immunosuppression. So to include ECP uh, in order to bridge the phase of decreasing and um, uh, stopping other uh, more uh, potent drugs. So I think there is, uh, uh, there is definitely a role of ECP in the future. So you see like a, a sort of a sequence and combination of different approaches to optimize the control of, uh, of GVHD and possibly as you alluded to, personalize the choice of combinations and sequence based on the major target organ. Exactly, <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, thank you. Maybe we move to Nico. Nico, you heard some uh, interesting information about uh, 
myelodysplastic syndromes, myeloproliferative disorders. So the floor is you. Tell us, please. Thank you. I would um, concentrate myself on um, one study from the EBMT on uh, Ruxo pretreatment uh, uh, before allotransplantation and myelofibrosis. And after that, maybe a small report or some, yeah, a small report on the CMML front. So um, there was this uh, huge EBMT uh, chronic malignancies working party effort to study uh, ruxolitinib uh, pretreatment and allotransplantation for myelofibrosis primary and secondary. And um, the first um, really interesting thing about the study is that they tried to gather uh, not only uh, uh, the information that ruxolitinib was given or not, but also whether they responded due to the spleen size. And uh, what this study then found is that the uh, ruxolitinib response was the uh, was really really important for outcome after transplantation. So patients who um, lost response during treatment or had no response um, had the same outcome as patients who did not receive ruxolitinib which was uh, worse than patients who received ruxolitinib and responded, then received the transplantation and went um, into long-term overall survival. So this was uh, quite um, interesting and intricate finding to maybe personalize the approach uh, and to find a way to uh, communicate uh, diseases and patients from diagnosis to transplant a bit a bit better because now we uh, in, in myelofibrosis we started with uh, a transplant specific risk stratification and but this uh, study now tries um, the approach to further dissect patients who received pretreatment and um, may benefit then the most from a transplant or may not benefit from it. So this was, this was quite, quite important. And the other study on CMML was uh, the first uh, transplant-specific risk stratification uh, in CMML with clinical and molecular information because CMML, um, as you all know, is a very, very rare disease in transplantation and currently has only um, like limited risk stratification in the transplant setting. The risk stratification for newly diagnosed patients is, is quite well developed, but transplantation was very, very difficult due to missing data, et cetera. So EBMT studies and CIBMTR studies found um, controversial um, factors um, affecting post-transplant outcome. And that's why this one study evaluated 240 patients um, which was done from our center, um, uh, Seattle Center, and uh, several German centers from uh, one center in Paris, Paris and one center in Nijmegen, the Netherlands. And we gathered um, molecular information, molecular genetic and clinical characteristics, and then tried to, tried to find uh, patients who benefit the most from a transplant or maybe not benefit and could therefore be targets for uh, other therapies than transplant. And we then found that an ASXL1 mutation uh, in combination with an NRAS mutation, as well as um, the comorbidity index of the patient at transplant and the bone marrow blasts uh, prior to transplant were independent prognostic factors. And then we um, calculated a system, a continuous system, which can be 
um, can be found um, on a website which was um, made available and will be available with the, uh, with the article which will be published, published soon. And yeah, these two studies, I, I think, um, are pointing towards all what, what we are discussing now is and that tran transplantation and the whole Congress went to finding the right patients who benefit the most. And I think this pers personalization or even subgroup level is now really, really important uh, for patient counseling. Can I ask um, a question to Nico? Absolutely. Uh, about the first uh, study um, you present on rixolitinib in patients who underwent allogenic stem cell transplantation for myelofibrosis. Do we have any um, pathophysiological hypothesis to explain this result? Why patients who receive ruxo and respond to rixolitinib would have better outcomes? Um, not really. I think um, would be would be interesting to get, to have this this information fr from these patients. Um, could could be very interesting. So the the response in ruxolitinib is um, also very very uh, difficult uh, difficult measurement because um, this this EBMT study just used um, the decrease in spleen volume with um, fifty percent. So. Um, in myelofibrosis, you, you find that um, leukocytosis and thrombocytopenia are uh, really, really important factors for post-transplant outcome. So um, whether this is a pathophysiological or just a, what do you call a, a cell dynamic uh, um, characteristic that uh, leads these patients into better outcome, that's that's uh, not identified yet, but that, that's a good question. I think um, this study is the, is may, maybe the first sto uh, stone for like new uh, personalized approaches to really define what, what's what's response, how how do they perform, and how can we characterize them a bit better before transplant that they benefit from that. Thank you, Zinaida. Any comment or any question? Well, um, well, we know about uh, pre-transplant ruxolitinib, and we all know that uh, it's very difficult sometimes to manage uh, myelofibrosis patients because when after you stop ruxolitinib, then the spleen increases in size, and then you decrease immunosuppression, uh, and then you get GVHD, and then uh, you give immunosuppression and steroids, and then spleen increases again, and then you're always um, you're it's very complicated disease to manage. So I'm always wondering. Wondering uh, what about ruxolitinib in the post-hour setting? Uh, mm. Meaning, uh, why doesn't it uh, maybe even uh, as soon as GVHD occurs, uh, or even sooner? Do you have any experience or knowledge about uh, about uh, in the post-transplant setting? Um, they they weren't any any reports at EBMT I saw, but there were um, I remember like three small center, one from France I cannot remember where. These um, studies had like difficult findings. We have now actually two patients with primary myelofibrosis who just received um, ruxolitinib uh, for steroid refractory GVHD after transplant very early on, like um, for uh, the, the one is uh, in his uh, day 60. 
and the other one is um, day 120. And they uh, actually um, perform quite well. Um, but as you mentioned, it's very difficult. What, what do you reduce first? Do you reduce like uh, immunosuppression or do you reduce uh, ruxolitinib? And, um, but these, these two uh, young men actually uh, with Premolif perform quite well. Um, yeah, but post-transplant ruxolitinib in myelofibrosis is completely rarely documented so far. It's important to stress that the CMML studies that you uh, described, Nico, uh, was uh, selected uh, for uh, as one of the presentations during the uh, presidential symposium recognizing the uh, value of the work done on this uh, rare disease, as, as you mentioned. So a, a key word from your presentations is uh, personalized. We personalized treatments pre, post transplant, and, and depending on, on patient conditions uh, and, and disease uh, status. Um, and patients are increasingly part of the annual meeting. Uh, maybe Zinaida, a short word about uh, patient-reported outcome and how patients can contribute to actually optimize and improve the results of their transplant and, and post-transplant treatments. Well, there's been uh, now um, a really big effort in the EBMT uh, on the engagement of patients um, uh, with uh, Helen Schumann's uh, from Transplant Complications Working Party uh, being a very uh, um, important, uh, let's say, wheel in the, in the whole process. So we are very happy to be uh, involved in this. And this is uh, also, I think, uh, something that is going to be uh, very important in the future. Future. We, we've seen now that all studies have started, including patient reported outcomes, and report those uh, as outcomes uh, as the most one of the most important uh, outcomes of the studies as well, which of course um, makes sense and uh, is logical. Uh, and uh, I think uh, EBMT has really, in the last year, uh, moved uh, towards uh, really gathering the group of patients and physicians and uh, EBMT uh, subcommittees and working parties together. Uh, we still need to find the best way uh, to uh, improve this communication and to find the way uh, how to collect uh, this data in the best possible way and how to use them in the best possible way. But I think uh, the first step has been done and I think uh, this last year has been really, uh, really uh, good. And this EBMT, there, is re there was really uh, an important uh, change when compared to, to previous CBMTs uh, in in this uh, in this uh, field. So I think we're on on a good good track here. Yeah, thank you, Zinaida. And as you are as you were speaking, I realize we are already coming uh, close to the end of this uh, session, and we spent most of the time uh, discussing various aspects of allogenic hematopoietic cell uh, transplantation. And it is important here to stress that this is still a very important part of EBMT activity and I would say core business. Uh, but since I've been a CAR-T person uh, for the last uh, few years, I cannot resist just to give you a flavor of what has been said around uh, CAR-T cells during uh, this uh, EBMT annual meeting. So, 
Very briefly, we've seen new uh, medicinal products coming to the market, in particular for multiple myeloma. We've seen uh, improved experience with uh, already approved CAR T cells uh, in real world condition. And from this uh, viewpoint, uh, there was a, a sort of a little red signal coming from uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, presentations, the Yin Yang Wang uh, abstract, reporting on the uh, German experience in real world conditions with CAR T cells and showing that the, um, uh, the response rate and the overall efficacy of AxiCell and TISA cell were uh, somewhat lower in real world conditions than they were in the uh, registration studies. So a bit different from what has been reported uh, by our American colleagues who, who were very uh, positive and optimistic as to the uh, efficacy profiles of these drugs in, in real world conditions. So definitely this needs to be uh, further uh, explored. And uh, we had uh, uh, very nice presentations on the future of immune effector cells uh, therapies and how to address issues such as uh, uh, resistance uh, tumor escape to uh, CAR T cells, and how can we also improve uh, genetic engineering of the T cells by substituting uh, gene editing techniques to the conventional, if I can say so, retro or antiviral uh, approaches to transduce uh, T cells. So as we come to the conclusion of this session, uh, we can say that EBMT remains a very active uh, professional uh, association, uh, an inclusive professional association trying to reflect the diversity of uh, its uh, community, uh, makes a great effort to draw uh, young and talented investigators. And uh, Nico is one of the key actors at the moment uh, trying to bring uh, young and dedicated people to the field. We need uh, new people to uh, keep uh, improving uh, results. And also, as has been stressed by Zinaida, uh, we try to involve patients because all the efforts that we carry through EBMT ultimately are for the benefit of patients and their families as represented by uh, patients advocates. So as a conclusion, um, Dr. Brissot, Elia, Dr. Perig, Zinaida, uh, Dr. Gagelman, Nico, I would like to thank you warmly for uh, being there uh, today with me and for uh, accepting to answer questions and uh, describing your work and what you heard from others during the uh, EBMT annual meeting. And thanks to all of you for listening to the VG Imank Journal. Take care. If you have found this podcast useful, please leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so we can continue to deliver expert-led content to you. Follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk and join in the conversation. And finally, don't forget to visit VJHemonk.com for all the latest updates in the field.